I uh, had uh, really a lot of fun going through uh, parts of the book of Ruth, and so um, I want to make a little switch here this morning about where we're going to head. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, and, and I'm going to bring a few thoughts out of out of First Kings. Um, I enjoy um, learning and growing, and sometimes I don't always enjoy the environment of learning and growing. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, I like to learn new things, but sometimes I don't like the process of how I do my learning. Because like uh, maybe most of you, um, sometimes we learn usually the hard way. And, um, the, you know, the, the longer route. It's like going on a trip and planning your trip, and you're always going the long way. You're never the short way. You're always going through the construction zones. And then you think, man, alive, this is free. And then there's another construction zone. And you think, oh, my goodness, how many construction zones can there be? And you go another 5, 10 kilometers, and then there's another construction zone. And you almost get the idea that it's just never going to end. How many have felt like that before in your life? Like just some of the stuff just isn't going to end and you think, finally, and then there's another construction zone. How can you tell I don't like construction zones? I don't like construction zones because it holds up progress. I think it stops me from moving ahead at the speed that I want to go. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think life goes at a horrendous pace. We talk about the speed of light and how fast light is and how quick things travel with the speed of light, but sometimes I think we think that life can be described as the speed of life, not light. I don't know about you, but as you get older, you recognize things change awfully fast, and sometimes they change too fast and you want things to slow down, but life goes sometimes at a rapid pace. It just keeps moving. What you thought was important today, is to, it's, it's the past, it's long gone, it's something new. And, and things shift and change so much in our world that oftentimes I think we can feel, not necessarily that we are, but we feel like we're caught in a whirlwind when everything else is going and moving and going fast that we can't even catch up. And sometimes um, we can stop and realize that, man, what's important Things are going so fast, but what's important? What's really valuable? Because everything in our life, listen carefully, everything in our life is not all important. Everything that goes on in our life doesn't demand all the time that we sometimes give it. So when life is going fast, I sometimes have to stop and ask myself the question, what is really important? Because I don't know about you, but I sometimes find myself in situations where I'm giving a way too much time and attention to than really what I ought to. I gotta learn to move on and learn to prioritize. I gotta sometimes learn to, to value what I'm doing. Is this as important as the time I'm giving it? And so that's the question I wanna ask this morning as we go through uh, 1 Kings chapter 5 and a little bit of chapter 6, because I think that sometimes when life is going so fast, we miss, we miss highlighted things that when we would stop and pay attention to them, would have an impact on our life. But because things are going so fast, we miss those things. Helen, I've had the privilege, we lived in Vernon, B.C. for six years, six years. I mean, I never knew where Vernon was until we moved there, and I didn't realize how beautiful it was there. 
And we lived there for six years, but it wasn't until we moved away and went back to visit that I realized how beautiful a place that we lived. And then I asked myself the question, why does it take us moving away to recognize what we've had? Because we're so busy doing life, so busy doing this and checking off the list and going through this, all that kind of stuff that we miss the beauty around us. I don't know if anyone can relate to, but I find in my life, because it seems to be often so busy that I miss those moments, I miss those, those events, I miss those um, opportunities that if I would have just stopped, I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase, why don't you learn to stop and smell the roses, yeah. right? That's a phrase we're familiar with. It's like... You're so busy, you don't even pay, pay attention to what's around you, and, and so much of life can be missed because we're so busy going to A to B and C and D, and then we forgot B again, and we go back to B, and then we reroute ourselves, and we just keep on going before we know we're exhausted, and we don't want to go any further because we're just plain tired. So we get up in the morning and we hit the repeat button, do the same thing, A, B, C, D, E, go back to B, and then we go back to bed and we wake up in the morning and hit, can anyone relate to what I'm saying? I want to tell you this morning, God has created us not for the speed of life, but to enjoy it as it gets exposed to us. I like the word exposed because sometimes when we're so busy with life, we miss because it's not revealed, but when we stop, and all of a sudden, it, it exposes. It's like, well, I never recognized that before. So the question I have this morning is we're going to go through 1 Kings and just draw a few verses out of 1 Kings 5 and 1 Kings chapter 6. Just a few verses this morning. I want to ask us the question, what is really important? I titled my message this morning, in the speed of life, what's really important? And I think if we just take some of these verses here in 1 Kings, we're going to recognize something and something I want to highlight that is very important that oftentimes we miss. In 1 Kings chapter 4, or chapter 5, sorry, starting at verse 13 to 18, and I have it on the screen there for you, um, I'm just going to read into it, I'll give you a little bit of context after, and then we're just going to jump right in, okay? So 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 13, it starts saying this, Then King Solomon conscripted a labor force of 30,000 men from all of Israel. He sent them to Lebanon in shifts. 10,000. You, you, you really got to pay attention to numbers here because it gets mind-boggling. 10,000 every month, so each man would be one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Now, let me give you a little understanding of what's happening here. Solomon now is building this great temple that his father David wanted to build. He wanted to build a place where God could, could, could reside among the people. And for, for its history, God basically lived in the tent, and, and, and in that tent, wherever the camp of the Israelites moved to, then the whole tabernacle structure carried with them. And, and David said, I, now that we're settled in the land of Israel and that it's our land, I, I want to build a permanent place, a, a building where, where it doesn't have to move, and I want to be extravagant. And, and, and God told David, no, you're not going to build it, but your son is. So now Solomon is king of Israel, and now he's building this temple, and he recognizes and, and he takes the blueprints of his father, David, and he, I don't know, he goes way over what David even thought. In fact, when you really understand what it costs to build this temple that Solomon built for the Lord, in today's money, it would be over 
over $500 billion to build today. That's how extravagant it was. That $500 billion is really roughly the cost of the material, the gold, the precious stones, the, the linens, all those things. And it, it didn't include the wages of people. So in, second, in 1 Kings chapter 5, we have Solomon putting together a workforce big enough to accomplish building this great temple that he wants to build for God. So that's when verse, I'll go to verse 13 again. Then Solomon constructed a labor force of 30,000 men from all Israel. He sent them to Lebanon. And the neat thing is, too, he sent a letter to surrounding countries because Israel didn't have everything they needed to build this extravagant. He needed, he needed outside relationships in order to gather the material. And so one of those places was Lebanon. And so he sent 30,000 people to Lebanon. 30,000. And he sent them to Lebanon in shifts, 10,000 every month, so that each man would be there one month in Lebanon and two months at home. And then he says, um, Adorim, or whatever his name is, was in charge of the labor force. Solomon, verse 15, Solomon also had 70,000 common laborers, 80,000 quarry workers in the hill countries, and 3,600 foremen to supervise the work. At the king's command, the quarried large rocks of high-quality stone and shaped them to make the foundation of the temple. Verse 18, men from the city of Geba helped Solomon and harem builders prepare the timber and the stone for the temple. Now, I'm just reading you a couple verses, and there's a lot of numbers just thrown out there. But if you really stop and take a look at the size of this workforce, it's out of this world. We're talking 30,000 that went to, went to Lebanon. Then we're talking 70,000 common laborers. And then we're talking 80,000 quarry workers. And then we're talking 3,600 foremen to supervise them all. We're near and almost 200,000 people, if my adding is correct. Now, understand that I skipped that class in school, so my adding might be wrong. Major, major workforce. And then it tells us, I'm just going to, I haven't got this down. Then it tells us in chapter 6 and verse 38 that the entire building was completed to every detail during the 11th year of Solomon's reign. So it took seven years to build a temple. Seven years. Hundred, over 100,000 people all working. I love history. When I read about the Titanic, I think that's amazing. And I think they had, what, 3,000 workers on that big thing, and that was the marvel of the day. We're talking in Solomon's day, hundreds of thousands of people working on that project. And if I would take the time to tell you the extravagance and the amount of things that went in there, it would just completely blow your mind. And that's not my point this morning. My point is, in the speed of life, what is most important? What is most important? Because things move at rapid paces. What's most important? I want to tell you this morning, one of the most important things is relationships with people. One of the most important things. It's interesting, Jesus demonstrated his value for people so much that he gave up everything that he had to become one of us so that we can have everything he has. 
When you think of that, I, I don't know. When you, when you grow up in the church, I think you can take that for granted. I think you can just, yes, Jesus did this, and Jesus did that, and Jesus did that, and because of what, that, I'm, I'm like this, and yet we don't even fully understand what all Jesus did, because if we did, I think we'd be powerful motivators and movers in our society. Jesus Christ gave up absolutely everything so that we could have the chance to be like him. To be like him. In fact, when Jesus left, he says, as I am, so are you in the world. Yeah. Now that makes me hunger to know who he is. Yeah. Because who he is, I'm here representing that. I don't know you, but I, I don't want to miss that. Life can go so fast and we forget why we're here. We forget why God created us. We forget why we are, where we're at and what job we have and the situation we're in and the school that we teach or, or whatever context you find yourself I believe it's not by mistake. I believe it's by divine purpose because you and I have a significant role to bring his kingdom to earth, to make his reality a reality here on earth. It's not to get people to escape their responsibility and get out and hide. It's about coming and delivering something that's so much greater than ourselves, so much bigger than our own little minds can fathom. It's to bring the life and the principles of the kingdom of heaven to come alive here on earth. I don't just preach that, folks. I believe that. Am I there? No, I'm learning. But I'm in the process. And in that process, sometimes not fun. Sometimes in that process, it's just I have to learn to prioritize what's important because so much things are going by and fast and decisions and people and things. And it's just a spinning wheel sometimes. And I have to learn to step back and say, what's most important? Jesus made relationships the most important. When I look at Second, First Kings chapter 5, I see Solomon could not do what he was doing by himself. He needed relationship. He needed relationship at a scale not commonly known today. He needed not only relationships with his own people, but he needed relationships with people outside his territory. He needed relationships with people outside his kingdom. And can I tell you, when you go outside of your realm, you run into different people. You run into different beliefs, different thoughts, different ideas, different thinking. You run into all that kind of stuff. But if we value people, we'll learn to filter that out and begin to value who God brings in our life. God himself, it's interesting, and this is just a side thought. Back in Genesis, it says it's not good for us to be alone. We were created for relationship. We were created for relationship. What is the hardest thing to do in life? Is relationship. Hey, some of you have been married for many, many more years. My wife, my wife and I are going 27 years, and I'm amazed that we got that far. I've endured a lot during that time. So I'm just telling you, I'm clapping myself because I've done really well. What happens when relationships are tense? Ooh, all kinds of things happen. Things you didn't dream of happen. Situations turn on a dime when relationships aren't there. 
When, when relationships are affected, it's, your, your progress is affected. Things around you, perspective has changed. Your heart starts getting hurt and feeling all this kind of stuff. And it's amazing when relationships are not right, how difficult life can be. Am I making sense? In the speed of life, what's most important is our relationships with the people around us. Relationships are key. There are three things that I want to highlight, and then I go back in in, in 1 Kings, about relationships and about people that I think all of us have learned. All of us have learned some of these things, and so it's not nothing new, but yet sometimes when we're reminded, it brings things fresh to our mind. And that's what I want to do this morning. This is what I've learned about people, and you've learned about people and relationships. Three things. First of all, relationships, people and relationships, there will always be mistakes. Always be mistakes. There will always be mistakes, but we've got to learn to let genuine love measure higher than our disappointment or our offense. Let me say that again, just because it's very important. People are different. Situations will always be different. But if we allow, listen to this, our genuine love. Now, I'm not talking smooching stuff, okay? Like, no. Sometimes when we talk about love with people, we have all kinds of ideas and all kinds of thoughts that we're going to all hug and kiss each other. No, please don't do that. That's not what I mean. Genuine love is, is an aspect of something inside of here that's willing, it's willing to go over top of the things that disappoint me, over top of the things that have offended me, over top of those things that have bothered me because I value who's in front of me. You see, that kind of love changes people's lives. It doesn't cost any money. It doesn't require really anything much effort. All it does is the decision that we make, that we learn to put what we think divides us below our value for them. You see, Jesus demonstrated this in his whole entire life on earth. He spent time with people that no one else would because he's seen beyond their choices. He's seen beyond their acts. He's seen them beyond their problems and situations, and he loved them. He, his love overpowered all those things that his, his upbringing would have said, go away, stay away. I think if we would really realize how powerful the love of God is and how transforming it is, listen to me, love has nothing to do with doctrine, has nothing to do with theology, nothing to do with beliefs in one sense. Love has to do with about you valuing someone, giving them the credit they have because of what God's invested in them. That's how powerful it is, and yet... That's the, one of the first things that we recognize goes when we get offended or hurt. I mean, I've been there. I know what that feels like. Sometimes I want to take some people out and pound them in the pavement. You're looking at me funny. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. You wanted to do things yourself. When they cut you off in traffic, how do you think? Oh, bro, God is so good. No, you don't think that way. It's like, you idiot. You see, when a love overpowers overpowers those things, we, we look beyond the act. And I think, I think the church as a whole is waking up 
is really waking up to what really matters. And there's a challenge between the religious wing of the church and the liberated wing of the church where we begin to recognize people for people, not for choices. We value people because who God created them to be and we see the potential in them just like we see the potential in us. I don't know if this is making sense, but man, I tell you, they will make mistakes. I bet you you sitting here can think of at least three major, major, major mistakes you've made in your life. It's amazing. You don't forget those things very easy. They're, they're always there. And, and sometimes because of those things that have happened, we're afraid to do anything else because we're afraid that we're going to do the same thing. So we all can relate to mistakes. But when you value someone so much greater than that mistake they made, man, I tell you, it takes someone that has character. Sometimes I think, can I use this word? We're a bunch of wussies sometimes. Can I use that word? We just want everything to go the way we do. We want everyone to smile and like what we're doing, and we can't deal with conflict when someone thinks different than us or believes different, and we're just wussies. It's time to grow up. You know what I mean? Like, that sounds harsh. I don't want to be harsh. I, grow up is encouraged. Grow up. Let's grow up. I think that's even in the Bible. People of Judah grow up. There, see, it's there. We're not at Judah, so no, it's not there. I'm just saying that. Why am I? I want to. Am I arrived there? No. Have you arrived? No. But you know what? Let's celebrate each of our process that we're in. You know, we can pick each other apart very easily. Hey? I can say a couple of words and you would pick me apart right now. You could say a couple of words and I could pick you apart. We're, we're good at that. Let's, let's flip that. And let's start seeing the value in people rather than the things we don't value. Because the more we fill our mind with the things that we value, the more influence that perspective will have on our life. Now, I don't... Let's be real, Okay. I just love everybody, you liar. Everybody's just wonderful, liar. You know, we tell the doors are closed and the blinds are shut, and then we know how we value people, right? Let's be real. We're not going to get it all the time. People are going to tick us off. People are. They're going to not do nice things to us. But if we get back deep inside here, and our genuine love and value is a higher pile than the things we don't value. It'll always override. I can imagine. Let's say there was 180,000 people working on Solomon's temple. I can imagine there was conflict. Huh? There's conflict with two people trying to do a job. It's hard working with my wife when we're trying to paint windows. It's like you missed a spot. Shh. No, you're not doing that right. Shh. I'm just being dumb, okay? Yeah, she does worse, believe me. Uh, we have conflict with two people trying to get a job done. Then there's 10 people and there's 10 other problems. Then you have 100 people working and you have a problem so big you need managers to override and try to calm people down in different places, right? Then you have 250 workers and you have probably 250 other people that are not included that are trying to keep the peace between people that don't have peace and don't like this and don't like that. 
I want to learn. I want us to learn to not see people with labels, but to see people as God sees them. I'm glad God doesn't see me and label me. I got mistakes, absolutely, but he doesn't label us. He's proud to associate with us and say, that's one of mine. That's one of mine, and I poured so much into him that if he realized what I poured into him, he would be a world changer right where he is. And we're waiting for something to come, to show up. We're waiting for some event to happen, to change everything, when the event is in here. The event is not in this building. The event is inside of your life. You You are a kingdom distributor. And in the speed of life, Man alive, notice who's around you. Because when you notice people around you, you'll find that they'll give you keys to their life that you're able to speak into them when you value them. Some people show up in our life and man, we lock every door, we close every window, we slam every blind down, we want to give, turn the lights out, pretend we're not home, right? I have people like I would, Honey, we're not home. All right, quick. But I want to change that. I want to change that. Because the kingdom inside of me is so much greater than the problem that I see around me that if I allow that kingdom to influence me, I can push past my offense and disappointment and hurt and whatever else and start loving people. They all make mistakes, but we've got to have our love measure higher than our disappointment and offense. Oh... Second thing, second thing. This is the second thing. What time is it? I'm going to wrap it up. Never wait for others to engage you. You take the first steps in engaging them. Why? Because you're thinking of value. You're thinking they're important. They're thinking what they have to contribute to my life is more than what I can contribute to them. Never wait for others to engage you. Go into places of business with purpose. Who am I going to say hi to? Who am I going to give life to? You see, that's what Jesus would do. He walked into situations where the religious people, oh man, their nose is so high that they couldn't even walk straight themselves, and yet Jesus seen opportunity in front of them. And often he confronted the religious leaders and said, if your nose wasn't so high and so full of yourself, you would recognize the treasures around you. We have to learn to find the gold in people, even if his name is Justin Trudeau. There might be a little bit of gold, but there's got to be some in there. There's a lot, because God created him. Never wait for others to engage you. You take the time and the first steps to engaging them. You'll be the first to say hi, and how are you, and genuinely mean it. Sometimes there's people that enter a room, and they wait for people to come to them. I want to be someone. I want us to be someone that walks into the room waiting for them. Hmm. Relationships at the speed of life. Man, I tell you, we can fly by so fast. One time I went into, a, uh, went into Tim Hortons and I was so busy and I had my mind occupied. I had something in there. I went and ordered and walked out. As I walked out, I noticed three people. There's, there's three people that were like, hey. And I didn't even take the time to say, hey, how are you? I was so focused on my busy life. I'm glad. I'm glad Jesus was never too busy for people. He just stopped and poured life into them. Why? Because he valued them. They were so important. There's a third thing that I want to talk about. Life is busy. 
But relationships we have are an asset that will continue to grow and build and provide for your future. You see, your future is only as bright as how many people are around you. You can never be successful without people around you. You need people around you. Solomon recognized that if he was going to build this great temple, there was absolutely nothing he could do on his own. He needed people. I want to tell you, folks, the things that God has planned for us, what we want to do and where we want to go, we need people. And relationships are number one. we got to begin to invest in relationships with people. Let me challenge you in the last four minutes, and I'll just go through them really quickly. This is what I would challenge you in light of some of the things that we talked about here. There's two things that I want to encourage you with. One, first one, expand your relationship base outside your comfort zone. Expand your relationship outside your comfort zone. All of us have our comfort zone. We love to be in a zone where we're comfortable and we're fitting and everything's going well. I'm challenging you. Learn to go out of those comfort zones. Involve people in your life that believe different than you, think different than you, act different than you, and have a whole different idea about life than you. That's what Jesus would have done. That's what he demonstrated. Expand your relationship base outside your comfort zone. We got to learn value people, not for their choices they make, but for who they really are. Don't put labels on people. Labels just bring division and cause you to come up with definitions of people. The second thing I want to leave you is this. I want to encourage you, not only expand your relationship base out your comfort zone, But secondly, understand that people are different. Learn to value who they are. I would say this boldly. Learn to enjoy people for who they are. Learn to enjoy that. Jesus never denied anyone at all. Too often I think the church has done this in the past. We've become exclusive. Inclusive. Exclusive. Wow. You don't fit in with my little box, you're not welcome in my little world. Because you're an enemy of mine. And I want to say, let's break that down. Let's bust that through. Because Jesus always reached into people's lives all the time. No matter what context, no matter what situation. No matter what choices they made, no matter what label the world put them on, or the religious people thought about them, he pushed through those walls and said, I know who you are, and I value you for who you are. That's when we start making impact. It's not about our doctrine, our theology. Oh, we got to get back to the roots again. We got to. No, there is no roots to get back to. There's a person to get back to, a person that's very alive. And unmatched power and authority and he oozes with that kind of love and relationship that he wants to see us have influence in the world amen Amen. let's pray